So a big warm welcome to our event today. This is part of the 2020 Burning Man event. So by the end of this hour, you will officially be a burner. So let's just dive in. We can't walk through the Black Rock this year. So come along with us and let's dive in and explore something new together. This is for you if you want to hear those stories about the bright and heady days of being young and we can't wait to take you back there. Reading for you today, we've got two superb actors lined up. We've got Judy Leonard and we've got Ian McShee. Ian, would you just like to say hello to us all there? Hi, I'm Ian McShee. I'm an actor based in South East England. Uh, thank you very much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. I'm looking forward to finding out how much younger we all feel at the end of it. Judy, would you like to say hello? Hi everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, my name's Judy, I live in Somerset in southwest England and I've worked for the National Health Service for 43 years. I'm looking forward to my retirement in March. Which seems like a really great excuse to be young again. So wherever you are all enjoying us, joining us today around the world, let us know in chat so that we can kind of join hands across the world. I know we've got some from across the pond and some a little bit more local to UK. I'm Lita Doolan, I'm joining you from Oxford today and we're going to have a really good afternoon together. So I hope you've got some popcorn and a nice cup of tea ready to enjoy as we go along. So let's consider, would we do it all again? Go back, be young, maybe we'll change your mind during this next hour. So without further ado, I give you the adventure prone and danger rich piece, vertebrae, claustrophobia, and Daniel Day-Lewis, and this is written by Donna Latham. Vertebrae betrayed me. After decades of load-bearing, shock-absorbing support, they stormed off the job, left me hobbled on crutches, lumbering about, corkscrewed with nerve pain, and terrified it's permanent. The jolly technician pats my shoulder. It's only 30 minutes, dearie, over a twinkle. Far too young to feel so old. I gawp into the gaping maw of a gigantic tube, an enormous beast of a contraption, eager to devour me alive, head first. A wave of Nausea clobbers me. I sway. The technician steadies me as I prop my crutches against the wall. It'll snap pictures of your spine, pinpoint exactly where the wreckage lurks. Miracle of modern medical imaging, don't you know? He hoists me onto an ominous metal platform, pries my mottled fingers from his arm, and tenderly tucks a paper-thin hospital blanket around my quivering body and slips protective headphones over my ears. I hold perfectly still now here, tranquil as a corpse. Corpse? Uh, now don't swallow. Breathe only when necessary. Necessary? Now, clutch your emergency call button in a death grip. Lose your damn mind and go full bonkers. Just give it a squeeze. He dimples merrily. You got this, dearie. <laughs> this doe-eyed bamboozler trundled me off to my death. Well, at least he didn't call me boomer. <sighs> Through the, though the machine dwarfs me. I'm a tight fit, squashed in its tunnel, scared shitless in panicky confinement. Claustrophobia rears its ugly head, twirls its villain's moustache. The beasts are sickening jackhammer. My heart pounds crazily along. I shiver, sweat. I hold my breath against the endless onslaught. How long till I puke? Or pass out? Uh, no, no, stop. Stop. Sneak a breath. Steal a good strong swallow while you're at it. 
claustrophobia be damned. Boom, the music's my jam. I'll battle to the death with my theme song. Blink, blink, blink. The gale's ethereal opening. A gentle clash of cymbals. Uh, Dougie McLean taps gangly legs and takes up his fiddle. Oh, he tucks it under his chin. Five note rolls stir something deep in my soul. Fill me with awe and call to me. Launch me through a portal. I'm ferocious, pagan and witchy. A wanderer in primeval woods can't, no, no, won't hold still. I, my legs, I stomp my legs with doogie. Arms to the heaven. Surrender to the melody and I sway along in raptured, exhilarated, wild and fierce. One with the melody and one with the wind. One with the earth. I gallop around mysterious locks, my hair a tumble of waves, my boots broken and mossy, but ever sturdy, ever sturdy. I twirl, I reel, take flight in manic leaps, and with a lament, a prayer, mournful and thrilling, and hopeful and primal all at once, crying and laughing with aching loss and delicious hope. Music envelops me swirls me in a warm mist and holds me aloft. I tumble through time, dashed with my ancestors. I gallop with wolves over the primordial mountains of cork, somersault down carpets of earthy heather. My nostrils flared. I catapult over Ragusa's rocky sea cliffs, march with ancient warriors and hurtle over wedge tombs and temple ruins. Music envelops me time pulses. I huddle in the Italian army's alpine trenches, belly empty and thighs riddled with shrapnel. I hobble onward, one foot in front of the other. Yet another war looms. I cradle my loves against invading fascists. Flip off Mussolini with double fingers and roar through Ellis Island with a hope and a crucifix. I cling to my ancestor fearlessness. It burns a hole inside me. Music swells. Time pulses. I clasp the rough hand of Daniel Day-Lewis. Music swells. And then in the lush landscapes of the colonies, I spread my wings, cartwheel with Daniel into a roaring waterfall. A tangle of limbs and hair and soaking leaves, I swoon into his embrace and all's ecstasy. Over already? Are you sure? Breathless and drenched, I squirt at the technician through tears. You were amazing. You didn't move a tiniest muscle. Oh, oh, wait! Don't forget your crutches. Fuck them. I got this. Great sentiments. So the writer, Donna Latham, is a resident playwright at Rising Sun Performance Company in New York City. And she's a proud member of the Dramatist Guild. And she joins us today from Houston, Texas. So I gave each of the writers the task of describing their piece in one word. We'd like to give you as well, our listeners, the chance, if you'd like to, to respond. What, how would you sum up that piece? And Donna's word is persistence. So moving on, our next poem is The Retrieval. And this is written by Aisha Manzir Siddiqui. To be young again is not precisely possible. There is a reason why the seedling grows into tree, its rings encircling the first spindly stalk. For the tree to want to become seedling again is foolish, is missing out on a vast experience of squirrel and nest, of fruit and flower. Of course, the tree will die one day, 
and then it will become seedling again. But all wishes for youth also die with death. And so there is a great benefit to not fighting the laws of nature. A graceful graying over panicked facelifts is advisable. Still, although not possible in this life to become young again exactly, a certain retrieval can be made, which can allow us to not live lives half-lived with hearts closed from fear and disappointment, and instead to approach with wide eyes and open hearts that we came here with. It's a complex process, this retrieval, but it is possible. Acceptance is a necessary first step. Approaching the coming weaknesses, the slowings and the saggings uh, with kindness. So whatever you do, do not attempt this feat from the outside in. That will be counterproductive. No, instead, this retrieval is a slow and steady reclamation. The journey is long and covert and nearly impossible to do alone filled with false leads, stumbling blocks. But it is possible, this reunion. It will usually involve an intensity of emotion. The tears and the screams, the joys and euphorias of the child will have to be felt. That is, the ones that were not felt at the time. This can be awkward. To bawl like a baby at 45 can be awkward, but it may well be essential. And as we continue to practice this reclamation, we learn to be both parent and child, holding those soft, sweet ones, listening to their hopes and desires, their terrors and sadnesses, navigating, guiding, walking, uh, sometimes together with them, and some sometimes carrying them, and sometimes letting them lead the way. And like this, we do not become young again exactly, but we become older, wholer. Wow, lovely metaphor of the tree and the, and the seedling. Aisha, the writer, writes reviews, short stories, plays, poetries and essays, and her work has been staged and published widely. She's originally from Karachi and joins us today from London, and Aisha describes the poem in one word. Retrieval, so getting back to, to what we began with, I guess. So if there's one thing that I definitely myself would get rid of from my childhood was the brace that I had. So if anybody has one thing that they really would just like to have buried from their childhood, then it's a good time to just put it in the chat and forget about it. And I've got some NHS specs that I didn't really like very much as well. But certainly the next three pieces have given me a really strong idea of why I've got all of the things around me that I haven't got rid of. So to that end, please sit back and enjoy because we've got a real ecological torch song coming up next. This is Mother Nature Cleans Up. It's written by Lee Loing. And the scene sets, Mother Nature enters. She begins to pick up around the house, throwing items into the bin bag. I told them this was the last pie I was gonna let them throw. And you can see why, right here. I know respect for the rules and no respect for me. I mean, oh, look at this. Cheap beer and cheap trays of food. I told them to use the trash that you could easily put in recycled bins. But do they listen? No. Just trash bag after trash bag full of garbage. Lay off Mother N. Ease up Mother N. Oh, as if I was some fraternity house mother who would get high on crack. 
come one, come all, to Mother Nature's house on 167 Forest Lane. Oh, a street name that needs to be changed. This is my sister's. I can tell by the tank dangling beads. <laughs> she was always a showy druggie. Come on, Mama N, loosen up a little. Show social media world you aren't as tight assed as you seem. Easy for you to say, hashtag. You're not the one dealing with any of the fallout. I mean, none of them are. Not my brothers or sisters or cousins or in-laws or outlaws. I mean, they just love a good party. I love that I'm always here to clean up the mess. Except maybe when I kick them out. Maybe then they'll understand a little better on what it means to take care of something and not destroy it. Look, what I need to do is evict every last single one of them. Jack up my new sagging foundation. Throw some new paint on the old walls and get some new people in that will take care of the place like it should be taken care of. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that the next party they throw will be a wake for me. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm not quite ready for that. So there, game plan on. Right. Oh, hi there. I saw your foundation ad on television. And I really had a good point to have you come over and give me an estimation if you could. Yes. Oh, yeah, well, Wednesday is my spa day at Olympic Hot Springs. So would Thursday work for you? Great. Oh, Thursday it is. <laughs> what? Oh, yes, that's right. This is she, the one and only. Oh, oh, well, I don't know if I could. I mean, it's so early in the morning. But, well, oh, right. I hate to disappoint my fans. I mean, you did make me what I am. <coughs> it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. One across Mother Nature. <laughs> so the writer Lee Loing says that I love to write and create, and 2020 has been a great year in terms of successes for which I feel truly honoured, which is a really great philosophy, I think. The one word that the writer would use to describe the monologue is determination. And if you've got a word to describe Mother Nature, then Let's have a look in the chat. Let's see what we thought. And Lee lives in Bainbridge Island, Washington, where he joins us from today. So the next piece is about that item of clothing in the wardrobe, that mysterious one. I'm not going to reveal too much, but I've certainly got a rah-rah skirt that's full of flowers that I still have. That's my contribution to this next piece. It's written by a fine writer, Nick Maynard, introducing The Coat. I was sorting out some clothes the other day because I'm running out of space. So I either sort out, move out or stop buying shit. And the last two aren't an option. So I decided to empty the wardrobe and get rid of some stuff. Anything I haven't worn in six months will go. Marie Kondo will be proud of me. And I soon realised that over the years, I have bought some truly hideous clothes. I'm beginning to question my taste and the dangers of restocking this tomb where fashion goes to die. And then I see it. Or should I say, I see you, right at the end of the rail, waiting. The silhouette is instantly recognisable. It's that coat you used to wear. I didn't even know it was there. All this time, there it was, hiding in the dark, waiting for me. Oh, I had to sit down. It was like a relationship's worth of feelings hit me all at once with the veracity of a freight train. After all this time, it was as if you were standing there in front of me again. I felt the years disappear. And I'm him again, scared and bewildered, wondering 
how this was going to end, or even if it would. The smell still lingering in the lining after all this time. I inspect every inch of it as if I'm looking for clues to something. The threadbare patches around the pockets and cuffs, the telltale signs of the life it once lived and the owner it once knew so well, so long ago. And I searched the pockets for relics, some tangible artifact that might help the suffering to get better. But, but there's nothing there but grit and flakes of tobacco. And that seems to loosen all the memories we'd made. And they come tumbling into my head, like rocks in an avalanche, destructive, engulfing. They come so fast, I can hardly catch up with them. Everything you ever said, and I said, and thought, and shouted, and screamed. My heart racing as if I want to run away from it all. And I'm struggling to catch my breath in the midst of it. It's all become too much for me. Tears fill my eyes with the frustrations of, of trying to cope with everything that's happening. And I have to remind myself that this is only a coat. Landed from the past into the present. It's a messenger telling me how to be young again, how to feel and how to be so overcome with something, it can fill you. Emptiness is the curse of age. Youth is cup runneth over, spilling out and flooding everything so fully and so completely. A moment and a lifetime past. I thank you for making me feel again. I, I wipe the tears from my eyes and I put you back in the back of the wardrobe, back where you belong, at the end of the rail. I, I throw away all the rest and, and make room for some new stuff. Two bin bags of charity and nothing for the bin. I, I'm proud of myself. I have a gin, phone a friend, and we watch Netflix until I forget how to be young again. Thank you. I don't know whether that's persuaded me to get rid of my Rara skirt. It's beautiful. So the writer, Nick, lives and works in the north of England and regularly has his work performed in and around London. Based in Manchester, he, he describes the coat as transubstantive. So we really want to encourage you to tap into that spirit of play that we grew up with. And to that end, I really hope that you get all comfortable for this one and enjoy Bunny Hop by Judy Upton. Joanna had started cycling again at the start of lockdown. From here, you can get out into the open countryside, leaving the crowds behind in minutes. If you have a bike. Uh, there's a cycle path that used to be a railway line. A brisk 10-minute pedal and you're emerging from a tree canopy to enjoy breathtaking views of the South Downs. Or so Joanna said. Anyway, I hadn't ridden my bike since I was in my 20s. I used to cycle to my job at the local building society in, on it in the days before I passed my driving test. I no longer have a car as the upkeep is so expensive. Now I'm only working part-time and the bike is packed away at the back of the shed. Or so I thought. Lockdown is a good excuse for a clear out and I soon had the entire contents of the shed out on the lawn. Oh, who'd have thought anyone could have accumulated so many flower pots? I reached the back of the shed and there were some shelves there too I didn't remember. And on them were oh, jam jars with rusty lids containing nail screws and bits of pieces. Oh my, oh, 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 it jumped out of my skin. A huge goofy face was grinning up at me from beneath the pile of old compost 
outside, and there it was. Not my bike, but my old space hopper. I'm sure you remember space hoppers. Now mine, like many, was a great orange air-filled inflatable egg with bendy ear things to hold on to. And I was never sure if the ears and the grinning face were meant to in some way resemble a rabbit or an alien. As a kid, I'd spent hours astride my space hopper bouncing around the garden. I'd even made a course of little fences to jump over. And when I'd been obsessed with the show jumping on the telly and the idea of one day owning a pony. Now, jumping into the paddling pool while on board my space hopper was great fun on a hot day. And then there was what happened if you bounced it onto a football. Boing! Oh, two bouncy round objects in collision meant you were inevitably thrown violently off onto the lawn or into the flower border. As I dusted off the space hopper, I noticed the teeth marks on the ear stroke handles and immediately recalled our dog Rex. Now, for some reason, he hated my space hopper. Now, I was surprised it had kept most of its air. It had never had to be repaired with a puncture kit like those belonging to several of my friends. And I remembered that if you needed to reinflate it, there was a valve at the top where you could insert a bicycle pump. Now, I looked up space hoppers on eBay and found that originals are now, like everything retro or nostalgic, were selling for a small fortune. I wasn't parting with mine, though. Oh, no. But my bike was missing. And the space hopper wasn't going to take me as far as the tree arches and the view of the downs. Or would it? Could it? Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> my knees creaked and it's jolt jarred my spine in a way I can't remember happening when I was seven. As I persevered, though, it grew easier. I suppose I'm a bit of a coward getting up for my exercise at 7am so none of my friends witnessed my bounce along the cycle path. Now, apart from the odd quizzical look from passing joggers and nearly being rubbed down by a group of lycra-clad sprint cyclists, it was going well. The joy of the bounce had soon returned, and I was getting up a reasonable speed. Now, ahead, a startled rabbit took one look at the big grinning face and shot into the bushes. Boing, boing, boing! What had I to be self-conscious about? I was exercising my heart, my knees, and my buttocks. Now, I might be losing a few pounds, too, as I took in big breaths of the cold morning air. Joanna was always off to the gym, exercising with one of those big air-filled balls. Now, how was this any different? Boing, boing, boing. Suddenly, I was through the tree tunnel. And there, there it was. Beautiful view of the South Downs. So the writer, Judy Upton, is an award-winning playwright, screenwriter and author. Her plays have been produced by the Royal Court, National Theatre and BBC Radio 4, amongst others. And her first novella, Maisie and Mrs Webster, is published by Weidenfeld. And Nicholson, so really love that then. More to explore there from the writer. And the author's one word description for that piece is boing. I love that boing. It's the new word, I think, to be moving forward with. So next, we'd like to take you on a mysterious journey. So get ready to sense the streets and buildings that have been conjured up walking through these streets in ghost walks, written by Jeffrey Heptonstall. The stones that made the colonnades, the crescents and the squares in air and light 
even as the humbler dwellings darken. See how Palladian shadows fall when imagination walks by. Speaking of reflections of midwinter glass when we are looking, listening for the words to sing the last time she was there, sharing the glances given, passing through summer's endless time, fading into September moonlight. In the cool of the salamander, a shadow from the streetlight and the approaching tread through the stonework echoing the sound of unfamiliar feet. On hearing again, they may not be a stranger's, or there is no one, even as the conversation turns to further reflections. Coleridge missed the mail coach home. A long journey was saved, his spirit nursed to health. His dreams were fevered, of course. A maid would change his sweat-soaked sheets after a night of visitations. Below the window, elegance strolled, planning an evening's quadrille. The poet's thoughts were measureless to others, at times to him. Words were written in candlelight that the day could not tell. In the city of his fears, there ran dark waters beneath. Only the damned may drink. Their cries for mercy, sounding from abandoned places where no pleas are heard. Prometheus steals the gift of fire, angering the gods who punish him. Another secret science reveals itself that life itself might be created in an unnatural Adam. A spirited mind understands how all may read of the man-made man. Daring to tell the truth, Mary Shelley writes of a dream known of old to the wise, now received by all who live outside of Eden in the imperfect world. The city tremors before the truth. We imagine elegance in the making. Elegance is artifice, though the artifice tremors because down lies the disordered before all that is water. Beneath the stone is water. And the city is a ruin, and the beauty is a ruin in the making. Beauty is disordered. The stone beneath will survive. Truth lies down, though these stones will survive, because these stones happened. All that we imagine happened. God, I made my hearing my arm go on end. So Jeffrey Hepson's stall, the author's publications include a novel, Heaven's Invention, and a new poetry collection, The Rites of Paradise, and his stories, monologues, and plays all performed. The writer's based in Cambridge, the English one, and describes that poem with the word shadows. So growing up, one of the things I wasn't allowed was a bike until I was really, really old. And I think it sort of does repress something in you. So I learned to cycle on a friend's bike. And it does connect a little bit, just that memory of, of not having something with the value of what you reach for, I suppose, when you get a little bit older. And I think this next piece really does tap into that energy. So here we go. Get ready, be comfortable. We've got That Weekend in Belfast. And this is written by Martha Patterson. Oh, listen, I mean, I've been with musicians. I mean, for a long time, they were the only types I'd date. And there was Sam, <laughs> Sam played guitar in a band, the Burning Skeletons. And I thought maybe I could land a free ticket to a festival if I, if I went out with him, right? I mean, well, I mean, I did at Titanic Slipways. Because Belfast needs music, not just political conflict, right? I dyed my hair green and parted my life out that weekend. Sedated by lots of booze. 
third Sam liked dressing in women's clothes. Found out not the first night, but the second night I spent with him. I mean, because after the festival, we got stoned together and went to bed. But it was like an acid trip. I dressed up in garters and a corset he was. And he had the nerve to ask me if I fancied it. I fancied it. I was appalled. I mean, no man I spent the night with did that before. And this was after he'd set fire to his guitar on stage, which really turned me on. <sighs> and then the transvestite business. I mean, Sam wasn't queer. I, oh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, he just liked getting in touch with the female side of himself. I mean, maybe because his mum took off for Galway when he was only three and he was raised by his dad. I mean, oh, such a disappointment. He was, you know, he was after a day of musical bliss. Well, look, if I wanted to go to bed with someone dressed like a lady, I'd go out with a lady for heaven's sake. Look, I, but I'm not cut out for that kind of cloth. Oh, anyway, at least I had a wild weekend in Belfast to show for it. And the burning skeletons were brill. That character was named Joni. I definitely want a mad weekend in Belfast with Joni, please. So the writer, Martha Patterson, is a much produced and published playwright, a Boston resident, where she joins us from, and she loves being surrounded by her books, radio and laptops. It sounds like a, an idea of heaven. And the one word that Martha would use to describe that piece is let down. Introducing a new poem now. This does show both sides of childhood. So just taking you to, and just another view of it. Um, and it's a beautiful poem, quite intense, beautiful poem. This is Grazed Knees, and it's written by Elspeth McCall. She wished she was five. Maybe not quite the five she had known, but the five that others indulge in nostalgia about, with colour and play and wonder. Not a wondering about when next month's rent's going to appear but are wondering about everything and anything without any fear. And the greatest pain you know is Grey's knees. Although the only bit of green to be seen for a while is a mile long home to thrown out mattresses, used needles, empty cans and empty dreams, which may seem hostile, but for her, it was the only thing worthwhile. As meanwhile, they were destroying and she was creating, exploring jungles and volcanoes, fighting pirates and crocodiles. That shitty alleyway was all she needed to make her smile and it would keep making her smile at six, seven, at 10 and 11. The girl with the hood, long sale trackies, because Nikes cost too many pennies, but she likes it, it's blue. And the lower dad says, you my bairn, look like a hun. She knows that he's only messing with all said and done because he knows her Celtic top is practically sewn to her skin and it would be a sin to take it off because without it, what else has she got? A reputation waiting for her that she still seeks from the shop, that she scrounges off those who work harder, that she doesn't even speak to the father of the one too many kids she's struggling to raise, that she drinks away her days in a drug-fueled haze that is non-stop, and all because they think they've uncovered and discovered that if she says mother and brother, more like V's than T's, that she shouldn't be given a shot as the few who are too busy embracing their own, not throwing her a bone, because her T's are somewhat not quite there in matter or chatter, in letter or sweater, they think they're better than someone who says water. It's like they've forgotten she's someone's fucking daughter. Teenage years occur with less of a warning than she was hoping for. But she was still her. One of the good ones who cares a fuck ton. Who'll always offer you a cup of Rosie Lee as strong as her will to defy those who fly high in the structures in place. That give her no grace. That think she's stupid. That think she's useless. That think she is simply not trying. When actually... Whilst they're whining and dining, she's not dining, but not whining about it. She's crying and managing to keep on smiling, keeping on working through her 20s, her 30s, her 40s, her 50s, her 60s and beyond. For the money that's not enough to last, but that hopefully will allow a chance to live a life 
slightly more like they have. But but that's not to say her life is in complete disarray, as and that it's as grey as the block she happily calls home. It's just a shame they never invested in her enough that she could break completely out of the cuffs that would always separate her kind from theirs. Because although she'll be in their Twitter thoughts and Facebook prayers, that does not equal care. She often wonders whether it was nature, whether it was nurture. How long will she have to keep on searching for why she is and who she is and why she is who she is? She wished she was five. Maybe not the five that she had known, but the five that others indulge in nostalgia about, with colour and play and wonder, not a wondering about when next month's rent is going to turn up, but a wondering about everything and anything without any fear. And the greatest pain you know is Grey's knees. Can't really add to that. That's amazing. So the writer Elspeth is a scholarship graduate of the Royal Central School of Drama and Speech, and she focuses primarily on class issues within her theatre and poetry practice. She's a South East Londoner where she joins us from, and she's now based in Brighton. So the word that Elspeth uses to describe that piece is cyclical. Okay, so we're coming now to the close of our amazing afternoon together that we've had a look at all the different ideas of childhood and hopefully had a look at whether we want to go back or not so hope you can indulge me the next piece I've written and it's a dialogue between the two actors that we've enjoyed today and it's sort of looking at those confessions that um, come up that may have been hidden quite below but just before we get to that there's one piece that the minute I saw it when it came into my inbox it just really hit me as the potential for us all to go out there and do something special at whatever age and at the grand old age of 50 this really does um, relate to me quite a lot and all of the writing that you've read you heard today has come from call out on the young Vic genesis website so judy would you like to read for us today the menopausal freshman written by joyce newman i used to be a sex symbol Okay, well, I see you're having a problem with that. Well, it's true. And another fact, up until two years ago, I was against drugs. <laughs> I thought they were bad for you. Uh, and then I started college. Now, when someone brings up drugs, I say, why? What do you got? Why? Okay. Now, two words in the English language that don't go together. Menopause and freshman. I was so confused my first year of college. I didn't know whether I was supposed to light a joint, have a body part pierced, or take an estrogen supplement. I mean, you're asking yourself why a six-year-old woman would start college. What do I have to gain by it? I ask myself that same question every day. Masochistic and sadistic. All in the spirit of bringing oneself to a higher, more enlightened place. I had a place before I started all this. <laughs> On the couch, watching soaps. So why did I start college? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Only sex is so rated. I mean, just ask anyone who's been married two or three times. Drugs, well, maybe, but now they're called pharmaceuticals. And rock and roll? <laughs> well, they're still Elvis. So why did I start college? about it. Why should all the important things in life happen before you're 50? So much wisdom there, isn't there? Hopefully that's given us a real want to just go out and do whatever 
it is that's in our heart. So the writer, Joyce Newman Scott, studied screenwriting at the University of Miami and creative writing at Florida International University. And she joins us from the States today. She's been published in numerous anthologies and the word she uses to describe the menopausal freshman is self-improvement. So I don't know what, what word you'd like to put with that, but it's a wonderful, empowering piece to sort of get going with, isn't it though? So let me know how you feel about that. So it's our last piece now to enjoy together um, as a community for this Burning Man event. And as I said, you're gonna leave this event fully fledged burners. So I hope that you feel that, a real wonderful sense of, of community here today. So the next piece, Blackpool Rock, has been inspired by those compassions that sometimes linger inside. And growing up as a Catholic, perhaps I relate to that more than others. But anyway, here we go. This is Blackpool Rock, setting a Zoom chat room. Two house music fans from the 90s, they connect on a call. Angie is finishing up her yoga class, a regular thing with her yoginis, but she's dependent on them coming every week in order to make ends meet in not so sunny Blackpool. She tries to cheer them up by joking a little. Thank you for saying that, Shona. Oh, made my day. I'm not going to lie. I was in my head all through yoga today. Worst class I ever taught. Oh, so glad you got something useful out of it. I'm like you, Law. I'm craving that feeling of driving down the road past the billboards on the way to the clubs from the airport. Beat the radio on in the taxi. The nearest I'll get to it is sniffing a Spanish onion. <laughs> Still, I'm grooving my little socks off, dancing all by myself. So, yeah, it's nice to be with you all by Zoom. But, God, I miss Pacha and, God, I need a drink. We're all on house arrest. Yeah, I can't believe they closed, they closed the clubs either. Shona? Are you finding this dry spell tough, Angie? You're, you're coming out of the computer now. Why are you trolls following me? Uh, not at all, Angie. I love the yoga. Surrounded by trolls, I am. You're killing my yoga class. Look, listen, Vernon, if that's your real name. Look, I can't have people unmuting themselves at will. Or this descends into totally... Wrecked karma energy. I mean, the, the class is over. What do you want? Well, it's, it's doctor's orders. Just, just a few tips to straighten my back out. Uh, we could jump into a chat room if you want. Let me ping you a link. You're a bit pushy. What do I know about health? I'm on the fourth diet coke of the day here, wondering why my teeth aren't melting under the strain of all this fake sugar. Well... It started after I policed the protests last month. Been holding in a, you know, a lot of tension after a man that I was holding in the cells, he asked for a Diet Coke. He pulls up at the cell window. I, I hand him his drink and he smells it. Then he asks me if it's Diet Coke and, and I show him, yeah, it is. And he smiles and he flexes his bicep at me. On his arm is a Diet Coke tattoo the size of an actual Diet Coke can. He says, it's all I drink. And that's when I realised I've got less happiness inside of me than a man who's facing charges for setting fire to four police cars. I want that feeling of being OK with life, Angie, and you can help me with that. No, Vernon. This is yoga, not a surgery. I can't wave my magic wand on you and make it all right. Look... I'm, I'm booting you out. There you go. <laughs> what the? I've clicked on something and I've lost all my audience. Where's Shona? Shona and the girls gone. Uh, we're in a breakout room. Listen, I'm not your Twitter troll. I, I love that song you play at the end of Shavasana. Whose remix is it? Ah, well, Glitter Mama. I was never allowed modern music when I was growing up, so now it's all I listen to. Well, I was never allowed Palmer Violets, which was weird because we came from Devon and tourists flocked there just to buy them. I mean, where are you doing your yoga? 
I'm back home in my, in my childhood home, overlooking the Bristol Channel. It should be peaceful, but it isn't. Every day, the, the tide brings in another path of destruction from all those teenage raves. I haven't slept in weeks. I've got a string of rest days ahead of me after working all those hours on the protests. So I'm stretching out on the bed, but when I close my eyes, I'm just wide awake. Rest days? God, you get none of these here in Blackpool. Not if you like eating, anyway. Yeah, I remember that vicious north wind. Pulls it down a bit. Oh, I wouldn't know. I've been here for so long. And I've forgotten everywhere else. I came to Blackpool on a coach trip and never left. <laughs> I nipped out to the pub for a quick roll-up and all dressed up for their happy hour and someone had me a deck of cards. So I came back as a croupier on their casino boat. But if you don't like where you are, why not just go back home to Devon? I'm okay with all the damp, clammy sheets and tooth-rotting candy floss, as long as I can take the odd dip in the sea now and again. Otherwise, I'm stuck in my flat near the casino complex where I normally do my classes. I know the Grosvenor. You used to be a gambler, then? Oh, yeah, I used to be. A pro, actually. Roulette, mainly. Should I? You probably run into many an ex-croupier. Oh, no. I, I never looked at anyone in the eyes when I was playing. At least of all the card dealers. It, it's all smoke and mirrors. I learnt that after winning and losing 50 grand on the same night. None of this is real. I cashed in the win that was so huge. The man in front of me, who was cashing in a tenner, he looked like he'd been hit on the head with a brick. <laughs> I took ages to get my winnings. I counted out every last juicy note. And I loved every second of it. I signed for it. And there I was, the whole world in 20 pound notes laid out on the table. And then someone turned to the cashier and gave the security alarm. Oh, the whole place descended into darkness and they sounded off the, the evacuation alarm. The, the notes just went in the chaos of it. I, I kept like a grab, but it was an unsettling feeling in that godless place. It, it was cold as cash. You must have remembered us struggling to dock the boat at the pier because the tide was out. Everything is, is temporary for a pro on the road. I only call... I only recall one thing. That's, that's the roulette wheel. And, and all casinos have the same colour. Red and black. This was one night a lad had been diving off the pier all day. He got good at it. It was the last five minutes of the blackjack table and he said he wanted a quick look at the stars. I let him go up on the deck. He must have seen the light from the boat on the rocks and thought it was the moon on the deep water and just went for it. All those pebbles got to his head. The young lad leapt into four foot of water. Did you see that? Uh, if it was late at night, I, I won't remember. I knew the lad from another casino cruise. He could gamble on two spiders crawling up the wall. And let's get it straight. I mean, the boy was not well, but he was well connected to the firm. How do you know that? Well, he gave his mobile to me to look after. I mean, punters do that. It brings some luck. I looked down at his phone as he was leaving the card table. Hundreds of notifications piling up, trolling, griefing, flaming, whatever you like to call it. But it all boils down to the same thing. Somebody pulling the string. His gleaming had got into the big league and he was punching for some nasty fuckers. And I could see what was making him do these daft stunts. I someone texted him a bet for a fiver that he could swim to the pier before the sun came up. Oh, God. Do you know who it was messaging him? I don't know. It was K. 
chaos. All the ravers on the beach screaming, no pay, no play. And then there he lay in white Versace socks. No one found him till first light of dawn. It's all I think about, Angie. I bet him that he couldn't get to the pier before sunrise. I thought he'd take it as a joke. And now I can't sleep. And now I've done every live stream yoga course known to man on the Gaia network. And it still hasn't helped. He was mad to take that challenge off you, Vernon. He said, just look, forgive yourself because there's more to life than sweaty, farty gang dogs. <sighs> well, if there is, and I don't know what it is, Angie. You have to do something, or you'll just be stuck waiting for the online gambling trolls to find you and find out why I'm living my life all wrong. They've infiltrated Ghana Bigler website too. I mean, is dodgy flame throwing and incendiary devices helping you though? Well, we do have some protection in these situations. Do you have a gun? Well, not on me. In your job? Well, sometimes. On, on security details. Then what ails you? You're completely protected from the bug. <sighs> I have to let it all out. And right now, there's no safe space to do that. that. That prisoner drinking his Diet Coke in the cell, he had everything that he wants. He got released on bail, although... I probably will see him in a few months in Wandsworth because his lawyer isn't up to much. But I've never seen a man with a smile so wide. He got picked up by his girlfriend in a red fiesta. She didn't care. She loved him and she accepted him for who he was. Uh, now, that's what I call freedom. You, you should try and track down your winnings. I mean, that cash is out there somewhere. Just grab it, right? Look, and if people don't like it, Say it was that mad yoga woman online talking again. <laughs> I don't know what my future is, but I know I'm making a difference right now. That's why I joined the force. I just expected it to make me feel a bit more optimistic, you know, now that I'm protecting the right kind of people, Ange. Well, you could block all your old trolls. But, and then what? I'd have no one on my timeline, no one to talk to. No, I'd rather see my threats out in the open and have risk them than have risks hidden or blocked. You're a brave man, Vernon. I don't know, but, but, but what you're doing, Angie, it's not making them go away. You're not killing them off. Oh. You know what I'm going to do? Something the Trons won't expect. I'm gonna go out there and tell them I love them. Every <laughs> single one. And then I'm gonna go straight to the police station. What? You're not reporting me for this? I fucking hope not, Angela. Look, look, it was 20 years ago. <laughs> Have you been recording all of this? Are you mad? <laughs> I can barely work a toaster. I'm going to be like you. Can't you see? Look, a future police officer in the making. <laughs> One warm body reporting for duty. Here's <laughs> your girl. Concludes our offerings that we've got for you today, this afternoon, and we're so grateful. Thank you that you've chosen to spend this hour with us today. So, have we decided? I don't know whether we would go back and do it all again. I'm not sure. It, it's kind of still out there for me. So much to to enjoy again, but only with the wisdom that I've got. So, a huge round of applause to our actors today, Judy Murray. Judy Murray. <laughs> 
<laughs> Judy Leonard and Ian McShee for entertaining us for this hour, for their wisdom and their understanding and how they've interpreted the characters today. I think two of the hardest working actors that I've ever worked with, so I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. So Judy Leonard has performed at Oxfordshire's Pegasus and Unicorn Theatres with the Studio Theatre Club. She performed Top Girls at the Old Fire Station with Oxford Dance Theatre. And Terry Pratchett once said, Judy Leonard is Nanny Og. And Ian McShee loves acting, relishing the combination of empathy, technique, teamwork and energy required to bring a character to life convincingly and tell a story entertainingly, both an absolute joy to work with. So thank you to you, to our writers that have joined us today and shared their hearts, their stories and their inspirations. And I think one thing that I've learned is you can only go back again with the knowledge that you've got. So here's to us getting out there and having all of life's experiences that are out there with big fresh eyes and enjoying ourselves to the hilt. <laughs>